Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend Chris Dow. One cat or one dog. And my adulthood friend Minty Booth. Coming in the air tonight. And we are <laughs> discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Before we dive into the episode, here we go, announcements time. We have a YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, search for Our Three Cents, subscribe to the channel and like all of the videos, please. There's loads of stuff on there. There's streaming content. There's uh, little mini documentaries. There's there's loads of fun stuff. There's even an unboxing video for the, for you or people that like that. Bloody love a box. Oh, why not? And we're also putting our video content on Instagram. We are on Instagram at O3C Podcast. Follow us. Follow us and have a look at what we're up to. We're always posting pictures of things that we're playing and and, and lots of lovely stuff like that. It'd be great to have you follow us on there. And we also have a Patreon page. If you're enjoying what we're doing, you fancy supporting us, uh, for us, I mean... Feel free to share the podcast on your social media platforms. That That's always a, a really, really big help in sort of spreading the word and getting some new listeners in. But if you want to do even more and get even more out of us, then you can go to patreon.com slash r3cents. And there's loads of perks available there for a range of different tiers of pleasury. Full bonus episodes, and there are some just cracking ones there. There's deleted scenes and outtakes. There's a bonus video content. There's access to the Patreon-exclusive Discord channel loads of stuff so do please check that out if we get to over five grand a month in patreon subscribers we will get a p.o box and chris will eat whatever you send us (laughs) that is guaranteed (laughs) so this week we have my seventh favorite video game of all time i'm i'm so excited to talk about it i i'm i i was a bit nervous actually writing about it because i was just like I, I, I don't know, I really want to do this game justice. Mm. And like, like it's the most I felt like that. And, and considering some of the absolute corkers I've spoken about, you know, oh yeah, but I'm, oh, I, I think I've, yeah, oh, I can't wait, can't wait to share it. But before we do that, it's time to return to the new format quiz, which is just, it's so exciting. Thank you for all of your feedback on the quiz and your enjoyment of these questions. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And this week is going to be very different because it is going to be awful. No, it's not. It's going to be another round of great, great fun. Quizzy, quizzy. The score is currently 56 points to Minty and 52 to Chris. So Minty has cultivated a four-point lead. So this could turn the tide entirely. <laughs> now... This round, I've entitled Super Synonym Brothers. Okay. The answers to these questions are all the names of video games. But what I have done is I have put the titles, the individual words of these games into a thesaurus. And, and I'm going to give you a question, which is simply what a thesaurus is spat out as synonyms of the words making up a title of a video game. Make sense? Okay, yeah, I got it. And as a bit of a clue, all of the games are games that have featured on my list. Oh. As an example, Sports Person Monarchs. Um, uh, uh, Athlete Kings. Ah, there we go. Yes, there we go. So that's the idea of the round. Chris, I hope you haven't shot your wad early because that was an example point and it does not contain any. So here we go. Quiz. Quiz. 
number one. Tip top flesh lad. Super meat boy. Oh, correct. That is one to minty. Well done. Tip-top flesh, lad. Oh, that's amazing. Question two. Consistency, cavalier, couple. Um, If something is consistent, uh, you could say it runs like... Butter. Oh, oh, uh, 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 clockwork night two. (laughs) Well done, Chris. (laughs) Well done. Oh, God. Question number three. Documents, s'il vous plaît. Papers, Papers please. please. Oh, ooh, that's going to come down to the wire. But I'm going to give the point there, I think, just by a hair to Chris. Well done. Uh, Papers, please. Oh. <laughs> Question number four. Dweller, suffering, quartet. Oh, God. Uh, it's um, Resident Evil 4. Correct. Well done, yeah. Minty. Oh. Well done. Two more. These are, I'll, 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 I'll say now, they're a little bit more obscure. Oh, are good. they? <laughs> okay. Emperor's Adventure, Veil of Ages. King's Quest, King's Master Quest. of Eternity. Ooh. I mean, Minty said the full title. Minty said the correct answer. Uh, so the point goes to Minty. Well done. <laughs> I wanted at least there to be a caveat there that was, was like, Chris may have got there first, but the full title, now, that was Minty. <laughs> Instead of it just being like, Chris, not interested. Minty, well done. <laughs> for you. Okay, final question. Opposed punch. Status, nothing. Counter-Strike, something zero. Counter-Strike, uh, oh, what is it called? Operation Zero? Status. If you were to ask about the uh, the status of a patient, oh, their condition. Condition zero. Yeah. Okay. That's what it is. The point goes to Chris. Yes. Well done. You, you, well you did done, the heavy Chris. lifting on that one for sure. <laughs> I, I really did. If, if you were going to just poo poo me on the other one, I at least wanted that. <laughs> Congratulations. That's another. Th- that's three points for both of you. I mean, we may as well not have done the round <sighs> at all. But uh, there we go. Well done. Ah, uh, but it was all about the journey. Fifty nine points to fifty five. Whew. Well, you've, I, I can tell you now, there is still some huge treats in store for this quiz. And, uh, and well done. Well done. <laughs> I love it. Right. If your heart rates have uh, resumed to normal, uh, I would like to tell you what I've been playing this last week. You don't get any points for guessing this. If you've been keeping up to date with uh, my, my, my social media activity, you'll know that I've, I've played a lot more Binding of Isaac. I mean... I never, I was never going to ease up, was I? <laughs> I mean, after going on record last week as saying I didn't think it was possible to beat Greedier Mode with the Lost without doing a Nord Leaf build, I then spent about two days just constantly restarting my runs with the Lost until I got Nord Leaf in the starting room. And I think I got it about three or four times, uh, including like re rolling my build with the D4 or starting item, which also then means you lose the Holy Mantle one free hit per room ability but every time every single time I, I ended up dying before getting a familiar or an orbital to use with the nord leaf and then i did a run where i got jacob's ladder and magic mushroom on the first floor and i thought you know what i'll be able to clear a few floors with this nord leaf may appear it didn't but my build got stronger and stronger and i managed to beat ultra greedier with the lost without nord leaf without stopwatch Without an I'm drowsy pill, and my hands were literally shaking as I won that fight. It was absolute <laughs> madness. I was in bits. I was in veritable bits. Well done. That's, that is an achievement. Thank you. 
honestly, in the last week or so, every time you post a screenshot <laughs> saying you've, you've made some other kind of... To me, obviously, it seems like massive progress. Maybe to you, it's only small incremental bits at this stage. But they are such... Everyone is such a towering achievement <laughs> that I just, re, I just retweet it with a comment like, insane. <laughs> because th- there's no other words for it. There's no other words for it at this stage. Like, I, I cannot believe the, the time and effort you've put into this game. And it... I mean, I love it because of that. I can't believe that the game is relatively low on the list. <laughs> you know, we think about our list. Like, surely the amount of time you put into it now, post writing this list, it had to have been worth more than tenth. Maybe, maybe. I mean, like I said, like with each with each achievement I get, it means that my focus narrows onto more and more. And like the reason why I was so thrilled to to, to get the lost all ticked off was so that I could properly focus on. Uh, the keeper character, which I was just having having a miserable time with, because he it, it's 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 very very different. You don't have health in the conventional sense. You only have two coins, and you if every time you pick up a coin, that can replenish your life. But you can never have more than two, like essentially like heart containers. It's it it's it's not fun. It was not fun. <laughs> but then last week <laughs> I did my I, I did manage to beat my first run with a very very good build, and I unlocked the wooden nickel starting item. And that gives you the ability to... It basically gives you a 50-50 chance of getting a coin after clearing a room. And it turns the game into just pure strategy and resource management. And it makes you approach the game in such a totally different way. And it was incredibly good fun. I must say, I'm so, so glad that I broke the back of that character. And I learned just a whole new way to enjoy the game. I was having to play very strategically, really manage my resources. You know, I was was targeting very, very specific items to get in the shop and sort of making those my priority. I had, you know, very, very sort of clear plan. And now I have all the completion marks for all of the characters, all on hard mode, which is something I've never done before on either of my save files of this game. You know, so I'm... I must say, I'm, I'm I'm quite proud of myself for for, for getting that far. You should be. <laughs> you should be. There's just a couple of things left for me to do now. There's a couple of items I need to pick up. One that only appears in secret rooms. And that is just, it's a very, very tricky item to sort of farm. It's not like, I mean, there's another item that I need to get, which is a devil room item. And like, that's the sort of thing. I do runs as Isaac. I get to a devil room. If it's not in there, I re-roll it. Eventually, I'm going to get it. It's fairly, you know, I can... I can fairly sort of consistently make attempts to try and get that item. But the one that's just reduced to the secret rooms, like you don't necessarily know where the secret rooms are. You meet, you've got to have bombs if you want to get into there. If you get in there, there's not necessarily going to be an item in there. In fact, there rarely is. So there's all kinds of strategies I've been I've been sort of looking at in terms of like getting certain cards that will spawn a beggar and then getting a beggar in the secret room, giving that beggar enough of its resource that it wants so that you spawn an item and then re-rolling that item because then it will be in the pool of secret room items and looking at different item combinations that's going to allow me to kind of re-roll more times on a floor and it's it's been quite a, a head fuck <laughs> and <laughs> it's it's uh, I'll be honest it's wearing me down <laughs> so I've got those two items to get and then the last proper thing I need to do is an achievement called five nights at mums where you have to get a win streak of five using a different character for each win and then it'll be 100 percented ready for repentance and 
Obviously, that game has dominated my playtime this week, but I did pick up another little game because I saw it reviewed on Nintendo Life just, just today, and it's a little game called Tori 3D. It's a little 3D platforming game, and Nintendo Life had given it 8 out of 10, and the thing that drew me in was the strapline saying, nostalgic 3D platforming? Ball and Wonderworld, take note. Oh. <laughs> and following on from Chris hailing it as his game of the year last week, I thought I'd best see it. <laughs> I thought I'd best size up Balan Wonderworld's competition, and uh, it really is. It, it's a it's a very it is a bite sized little game. Uh, it, it it's quite short, and and I don't wish to be crude, but I completed it in uh, one poo. <laughs> <laughs> but there was uh, there's ratings for completing the levels quicker, so there's impetus to return for another go at all the levels to get better scores. So I'm I'm eating those prunes. <laughs> The graphics are really uh, low poly and it looks very much like a like a 32-bit or a 64-bit kind of 3D platforming game. It's got this slightly nightmarish, surreal quality of something like Knights, mm. but it, it runs at like 60 frames per second. So it feels really smooth to control and play. And it, it actually felt like it felt a lot like something like Marble Blast to play because you're playing this, just this little character. It doesn't really matter what the character looks like. It may as well be a ball. You know, it's a little bird, but it doesn't matter. It could be anything. And you're playing for speed and precision whilst collecting little little items. And it's, um yeah, it's, it's really, really good fun. It's made by a dev called um, Seatro, or I, I think the guy's called Marcus Horn. And he's... He's, he's made like several like N64 retro styled 3D platform games and he clearly knows how it works, you know, and if, certainly if any bigger developers are looking for someone who, who really understands what makes 3D platforming feel fun whilst also being nostalgic, I mean, they should look this guy up and recruit him to make something with a bigger budget because, you know, I think it would be really, really special. Like, I'd, I'd love to have seen what this guy would have done with Balan Wonderworld. Uh, or even something like ukulele, which I I was so disappointed with because you know it didn't. Yeah, it made it made a game that was like, oh, remember the N sixty four platform games? Yeah, then play another one. It's like, yeah, oh, actually they're quite clunky, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I I I I I really urge people to download this game. It's literally it's eighty nine p. So if you've got a few gold points rattling around, that will probably cover the cost of it. I, I definitely do. Good. <laughs> I, I've got about £1.30 at last check, I think, of gold points. So I will there we go. I'll queue that up when we finish recording. Dude, I mean, you know, it's it's obviously it's not a long game. It has got replay value. It'd be great to support this developer. The music's really good in the game as well. And it's just, um, yeah, it's a really, really good little game. I really enjoyed it. And that's um, that's been my week. Minty, what have you played this week? How is uh, how how are you faring post Bravely Default? Uh, there hasn't really been a lot that's um, been suckered into that void. I'm afraid. Um, I'm still carrying on with Binding of Isaac, not nearly uh, the the rate of success that you've been having. I've only just unlocked the the lost. Ah, nowhere nowhere near reaching the keeper, and nowhere near unlocking the holy mantle for the lost to start with so we'll give that one a little bit of a wait before i uh before i crack on with that and that's been it really i, I i've been playing a little bit more of super mario 3 after after last week i was like oh, oh yeah I might, I might as well just jump back into it eh? maybe just a little <laughs> bit of a, a little bit of a trip down memory line <laughs> and it's really lovely yeah yeah it's just what a, what a fantastic game to just pick up and play. Hasn't aged a day in 33 years. It's extraordinary. Really, really great. Fantastic. I have been doing daily runs on Isaac, actually, and mm. they're good fun. 
they really are, aren't they? It sort of takes the takes the pressure off a little bit. It's just like, oh, I don't need to worry about trying to tick off something or collect something. It's like, no, I can just, yeah, I'm just going to just purely enjoy it. Yeah, and it's good because you don't have to have things unlocked for them to appear. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So t- today it was it was an Eve run, um, Eve run to uh, the depths two. I did re-roll the first item into the D100, which I haven't unlocked yet. So I was like, I'm not gonna go for a high score here. I'm just gonna I'm just just gonna have a, a great time re-rolling my run after every six rooms. That <laughs> is very interesting because I also re-rolled my first room on the daily run and also got the D one hundred. So it ah. seems like the yeah, re re rolling yeah. is coded into the seed as well as That's very interesting. Uh, so it's not yeah. yeah, so it's not random. That is very interesting. Mm. I, I suppose it must work then that the seed itself sets all the random number generation part of the run as well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, it must have like a base value that everything else is then spun off of. Yeah. Which yeah, it's it's really fascinating because it means that they are genuinely consistent between players. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, how about you? What has your gaming week consisted of? More PlayStation 5 or other things? It has been the PlayStation 5, but not a PlayStation 5 game primarily. Uh-huh. After last week when I mentioned Balan Wonderworld, <laughs> I'm now I'm going all in in an attempt to just lose any gamer cred I've ever built up. <laughs> <laughs> because basically the, the only game I've played for the last week or so has been the free-to-play Chinese-made action RPG Genshin Impact. Ah. And... It's, it's really bloody good. I mean, I'm, I'm hugely behind the curve as usual. I think the game came out late last year, I think. And at the time, it got a lot of media coverage. But I wrote it off straight away, like the day I saw it. Because despite how positive a lot of outlets seem to be about it, the art style of the game is so blatantly riffing on Breath of the Wild that I just, I couldn't fathom how it would hold any value to me whatsoever. But having played it although it absolutely does crib from zelda like embarrassingly so in places it's a really excellent game in and of itself as a bit of setup it's a massive open world like breath of the wild the art style is that not quite cell shaded not quite realistic look like breath of the wild you can climb and glide freely like breath of the wild and those are the bits that you'll know from any trailers or gameplay snippets you may have seen because they really yeah, they were just very blatant with it. It was like it was very obvious what they what they were trying to present as here's a free to play experience, and it, it's like that game everyone liked. You know, they really were just just pushing it as hard as possible. But it differs from Zelda in quite a few ways, and it adapts the format of Zelda in a few others that make this a game that I would really thoroughly recommend to basically anyone, regardless of genre taste. But if you are someone who is playing on a limited budget. I would insist you give it a go because this is an incredibly generous game to play. It is a full open world game with a proper anime themed story, which could last you 20, 30, 40 hours for the story itself. And that whole chunk is completely free to play. Nothing is gated whatsoever. There's no energy gauges on any story missions. You can just blast through it all as long as your your character level is going up as you play. Um, the characters the game allows you to unlock in the opening hours for free can be leveled up easy enough to tackle the entirety of, in essence, a AAA game for no money whatsoever. And the the generosity of that at the base of the game, I, th- I think, is really astonishing. Like, free-to-play, I think, is is beginning to change. There's there's a lot of grubby games out there still. You know, we talk about it all the time. The The franchises we feel have been just torpedoed outright by kind of that greed. But 
I, I think more and more developers are starting to lean into the idea that maybe if we, if we make a good product, people will play this for longer and, and just organically start giving us money. <laughs> and, and maybe that's worked because I think, I think Genshin Impact has done incredibly well for, for finances as well. Yeah, it's made, made over a billion in the first six months. Oh, Christ. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It like, is. Of course, th- there's monetization in it because it's a free game. Each day, there's, there's certain rolling quests that do require kind of an energy resource to participate in. They grant you materials that you can use to then strengthen characters or weapons or whatever. But even that, it's like the energy that you get for free every day that just regenerates as you play. That's easily another hour or two of gameplay you can get just for nothing, just to play four or five of those and then be done for the day and come back the next day. It does have like the the grubbiest part is the sort of gacha lottery style system of unlocking characters and weapons. But again, unless you're the type of person who is obsessively rolling for one thing. Hello there. <laughs> <laughs> but n- none of it is needed to progress. Mm. And, and I would hope, that e- even for you, Jonathan, I know how, how you sometimes fall into these games. Yeah. These are not characters you know. It's, you know it's, it's its own world, its own lore. And I haven't felt any kind of push to be like, oh, I desperately need so-and-so or, or thingamagubbins for, for a weapon. Because it's like, I don't know anything about it. And, and nothing I've done so far has stopped me from playing that makes me feel like I need to do it. Because even then as well, like every day you, you, you're rewarded specific currency that builds up just that you can then use for free spins every day or two. So I don't know, almost every action in the game gives you something to put back into the game. Uh, and it does feel very, very generous. Outside of all this, there's also really wonderful organic exploration and that's the thing i've enjoyed the most in this that it's not a game that's as like softly suggestive as breath of the wild where you've just got a gentle nudge that will pull you off the beaten track to find a korok seed or or a little bokoblin encampment (laughs) but it's really close and and it's also weirdly more purposeful because every time you do find a chest to unlock or an environmental puzzle that you pick apart and solve or a little enemy camp or a town side quest whatever all of these things grant items and bonuses that upgrade your character and your stats and whatever else and your adventure rank, which then helps to open up more and more of the map. So I prefer the idea in Zelda that you are exploring for exploration's sake. I, I really love that feel of Breath of the Wild. Mm. But as a way to keep you playing a game, I think this works incredibly well because you know at every turn there is something to find and you are rewarded for finding it. What's been really strange about this game is that for the first couple of hours i really couldn't see myself enjoying it because i I was still stuck in that mindset that it was like it's just it's just a copy it's just a copy (laughs) but you know i I think i picked it up because i wanted something to play and it had that sort of you know the new console curiosity is still there with the playstation 5 where it's just fun to play things with a new pad and a new system ui and it doesn't matter if it's a, a playstation 4 game i've never picked up or something i find in the store or whatever it's just something new and exciting for that but I really didn't feel like it was going to grab me, especially because the missions at the start, you know, the writing's quite hackneyed. It it lacks just enough of Zelda's polish to, to feel a lot cheaper than it actually is. And, and a lot of the menus seemed geared to sort of confuse and obfuscate in a way that made it feel like you'd have to pay to, in, in order to move along. And that's that's just not the case. But then after a few hours, I found myself just walking about endlessly, ignoring all the minimap markers <laughs> And just being just being in the place. And that's when I started finding the little hidden nooks and crannies and completed mainline quests as well as side tasks, took on little daily challenges, found little bounties, did fetch quests. All of this part is free. 
And and that's not even going into the detail of the character switching elemental combat, which does genuinely feel very different to, to Link with or without any of his abilities. I think this is going to be a big statement here, but I think the setup of this open world, irregardless if it, if it copies or cribs from Breath of the Wild, it is better than something like Spider-Man. Oh, and, and that's a, not, a real statement. It's also not true. Just just listen, listen. <laughs> like it's, it's not as shiny. The story obviously isn't a patch on that game either. So ignoring those parts. But the thing about a, a, an open world like Spider-Man is that all you're really doing, you're, you're picking a marker on your map, you're making your way there, and then you're either fighting or collecting something, and then you're going back to the map and you're picking another one to do the same thing. And it's great fun. It is great fun. But there's nothing to find in that game that isn't telegraphed like that. And and frustratingly, sometimes you'll find things organically. Like, I remember early in the game, I found one of the little black cat collectibles. And I thought, oh, that's exciting. I must be able to do something with that. But because that quest line hadn't started, the game just will not acknowledge it. So, you know, I, I had stumbled upon something that should have been cool. That could have, like, then started that quest then. But because I wasn't in a position in the story to do that, it's just like, oh, there's a cat. <laughs> you know it just doesn't let you do anything and and that sort of open world checklist design feels quite antithetical to the very purpose of it trying to be like a living breathing new york yeah whereas you know playing something like genshin impact and there are other games that do this as well if you find something it's it's yours like you found it <laughs> there you go enjoy it and if it's something that requires a key or an item that you don't yet have it doesn't stop that sense of discovery because it's so easy then to just drop your own little marker on the relatively sparse map that will just remind you to come back later when you're better equipped or after you've been to the shops and got whichever item you needed. And and plus, after that, you, you're only ever a stone's throw from another event or a named enemy or a collectible or whatever. So even if you couldn't open that chest for some reason or you couldn't access the thing that you found, you're almost guaranteed to find something else in the next few minutes. I really do love this game at the moment. Yeah. Like, maybe I'll kind of have a, a big revelation at some point where I decide, no, it's not for me anymore. But I've basically played it and nothing else for the last week or wow. so. And and once you get over its look, it's just, it's much more than you expect, honestly. And I think if, if I was playing this game at its launch and speaking through the sort of zeitgeist fog you get around big releases, I could understand people listening to me and going, yeah, yeah, just, just trying to be part of the gang, eh? Yeah. But... I'm playing. I'm playing this like six months after the game's yeah. release. I don't know any of my immediate friends who are playing this <laughs> game, and the thoughts I have based on it on this last week, they're they're entirely my own. This is just what I've found to pick it up out of nothing and then and then play it. So yeah, I mean, it's on the PlayStation Four. It's getting a native PS5 version soon. Although if you play the PS4 version on the PS5, it already runs at 4K and 60 frames a second. There we so go. I, I don't know what's going to change outside of like speedier load times. Yeah. You can get it on the PC for free. You can get it on mobile for free. And it seems like it plays pretty well wherever you chose to pick it up. I, I don't need to add another game to, to my list of games to play. No. Uh, but no. I, 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 will, I will certainly give it, give it a bash at some point and, um, and we'll, we'll feed my thoughts back. Yeah, it's, it's like I said, it's that first bit. I, I think if, if you're the type of person that is able to play a lot of other stuff, you could be put off enough in that first little chunk to think, well, I can't be bothered with this <laughs> and, and just never go back to it. But for me, honestly, it was it, I played it one evening. I got through the initial kind of, I guess, tutorial missions just to get you into the world. And then as soon as it kind of let go of, you know, it wasn't holding my hand anymore. It was kind of just saying, you know, just, just explore, see what happens. That's the point I was hooked because that's the type of game I, I love more than almost anything else. When it's just, there isn't really an end point. You, you can just 
make your own fun in the world. And, and that's been great. Good. So we arrive at the gate of <laughs> my number seventh favourite game of all time. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. You touched on it a bit earlier, talking about Binding of Isaac and how it baffled you that the game, that game was so low on my list. I mean, but in, in truth, like, I think any of my games in my top 10, at some point, I've said that it's my favourite game. And, and this game today is, is no exception. It's, it's an enormous game. And my personal connection to it is so profound as well. Like, look at, looking at the games that are still to come on my list, I think that I, I have a lot of affection for some of the games that are now higher up than this game because I know that I'm one of a few who really celebrate them. You know, as much as a game like the one I'm going to be talking about today, which is a legitimate masterpiece, it's... It is absolutely incredible. I could argue my way that any of my top 10 games were actually my number one game. And this game is incredible. It's a legitimate masterpiece. It is definitely the best entry in an enormously successful gaming series. Like (laughs) anyone who played the original knows that that is the case. Anyone who played the remake of this game knows that that's the case. And even if you've only played like the latest entries in this series you'll still probably hear enough people saying, yeah, but it's it's not as good as Pokemon Gold. Oh, I knew it! Oh. I knew it! <gasps> I, t- I told Mrs. Minty last night, I bet he's going to talk about Pokemon Gold. <gasps> <gasps> I, oh, oh, my I, God. I, oh. Now, the, the po- Pokemon is a series that, like, I don't think I've done enough justice to on this podcast, really. And, and I know that sounds mad because I've had several Pokemon games on my list and I've talked very emphatically about you know, Pokemon Sword and its respective DLC when we were playing that. But I don't think I've, I've really properly conveyed just how much Pokemon as a franchise means to me and how much I love it. Like, Chris, when you spoke about Pokemon Red and Blue and how it was yeah. it was such a such an important sort of bit of foundation in our relationship, Pokemon sort of permeates so many phases of my life, not just like my formative years, but but all through, you know, my my adult life as well. Pokemon is the answer to the question, which fictional world would you want to live in? Like, I I, I want to be the very best. Uh, <laughs> I want to be surrounded by that world. I want to be surrounded by by just this franchise. I remember, uh, like, at one point in my in my, in my my childhood, having a bit of a, a brain meltdown because I, I realised that I wasn't going to be able to own every single piece of Pokemon merchandise. Like, that was... I, I was, like, I was genuinely, like, overwhelmed by this. I mean, this to be fair, this was quite a long time before I had a diagnosis of OCD, which is, is why I've managed to come to terms with that reality now. But I, I, would, I would still love to have like just a little figurine or a plush toy of, of every single permutation of every Pokemon, like just, just so I could physically collect them all and have them all. Like at one point when I was working as the media producer for the representative body of the church in Wales, a drawer in my desk was full to the brim with plush toys of all nine Eevee evolutions, much to the disdain <laughs> of my colleague David Abbott, who, who would never condone such eccentricity, the wanker. <laughs> Pokemon Gold. I remember making the decision to get Pokemon Gold over Pokemon Silver because I, I, I wanted the A game this time round after getting Pokemon Blue in the last generation. Despite, I mean, the fact that obviously Pokemon Blue isn't the B game, I just wanted to, to have the one that, that went first, you know, when people mentioned the two together. You know, I wanted I wanted the knife, not the fork. You know, I wanted the fish, not the chips. <laughs> I've, I've never, ever considered them like that. <laughs> like... 
the linguistic value of it being gold and silver and not silver and gold. <laughs> but once I decided on getting Pokemon Gold when it was released in the UK, this was back in the day when our lives were dominated with, with emulators and ROMs. And I remember when the Japanese language ROM was leaked online, I couldn't resist and I downloaded a, a Japanese version of Pokemon Silver. Now, I didn't play like a huge amount of it because of the limitations of the language barrier, but I have such potent memory of, of playing that game on my emulator on my PC. And this is also during uh, a magical time in the, the early days of things such as Napster before, uh, before <laughs> LimeWire and Kazar and Pirate Bay. And I remember listening to, to some music on, on Winamp or whatever it was, whilst I dipped my toe in the Johto pool on my emulator. And I was, I was running the game at about 10 times the speed so I could just cram it into my eyes with even more efficiency. Like, like you know, Johnny Number 5 consuming books with the rampant velocity of a wild boar in short circuit. <laughs> so obviously I didn't have the audio turned on in the game because that, you know, that would have, I mean, to be honest, tipped me over the edge. I mean, from the sounds of it, actually... I was pretty far gone anyway. So so I had a couple of songs keeping me company. And when I hear them now, these these songs, like it it, it, it takes me back to Pokemon Gold in, in the same way that, you know, like when you walk through the perfume section of Debenhams, it takes you through every relationship you've ever had. <laughs> Just me? <laughs> there were two songs in particular. The first song is a monumental piece of pretentious progressive rock by the band Marillion. Uh, it was back in the early days of Marillion when the Scottish giant Fish was the lead singer and uh, they were making a name for themselves with such ditties as Kaylee and Lavender and uh, and clinging on to, to, to being a progressive rock imitator in the shadow of, of bands such as like Genesis and Yes and King Crimson. I mean, there were, you know, this was still like 20 years after they'd been doing this sort of stuff. And, and there was a there was a particular track that Marillion had, which uh, was actually a B-side that me and my brother managed to download through Napster. And it is it's such a such a prog thing to have a B side that is an eighteen minute song about the character Grendel from Beowulf. And this song <laughs> Grendel, it did nothing for the preconception of progressive rock that it was just a bunch of pathetic middle aged men singing about wizards and goblins. And you know they make their way through this fable whilst musically ripping off Genesis's crowning epic masterpiece Supper's Ready, almost a parody level. And it, it's one of those examples when the stereotype becomes the archetype and it was both absurd and perfect. And I couldn't stop listening to it. And it's, it's kind of how I digest music anyway. If I hear a song I like or an album I'm really into, that will be the only thing I listen to. And I will not stop repeating it for days and days and days, as my wife will attest to my recent discovery of the Prince of Egypt stage musical cast recording, which has not stopped playing for literally weeks. And literally in, in literally in an aim to put a full stop at the end of that sentence, I ended up buying tickets to go and see the production in December. And I thought that might that might stop it hasn't. But Grendel wasn't the only track accompanying me on my journey across Johto. For I'd also heard on the on the radio another classic anthem of our time and, and added that to my uh, to my Winamp library, and that was Larger Than Life by the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, the tonal whiplash of going from uber pop in 4-4 to experimental progressive rock in 9-8 must have broken something in my neck. Like, to go from lyrics such as wooden figures, pagan gods, stare blindly across the sea, appeal for help from ocean fogs, for saviour born of dreams, they know their lives are forfeit now, priestly heads they bow in shame, they cannot face the trembling crowd that flinch in Grendel's name. <laughs> To then lyrics such as, 
looking at the crowd and I see your body sway, come on, wishing <laughs> I could thank you in a different way, come on. Because it's hard to find a rhyme for come on once you've committed to that. Just repeat it. <laughs> but I think my interest in the emulated Japanese version fizzled out once I, I couldn't really understand what was going on with the story and, and, and I couldn't understand the new mechanics in the game without having them explained to me in my common tongue. So, I mean, I'm sure my, my, you know, my continual loop of those songs uh, lasted for, for, for months more, but I, I, I did put down the Japanese copy of, of Pokemon Silver and I sat back and waited patiently for Pokemon Gold to arrive. And I remember the day it did, I bounded across the lounge into the corner of the room that had the little reading lamp, thrust my Pokemon branded Game Boy Color under the light, jammed the glittery gold cartridge in the back and set off on my adventure. And the first thing that struck me about the game was... Was, was how the sprites were rendered for your party's Pokemon in a battle. This is a very niche thing. But like in red and blue, like when you were in a battle, your Pokemon was in the foreground and it would be exaggeratedly pixelated, which was, I, I think, the, trying to make it look like it was out of focus whilst your focus was on the Pokemon you were fighting. But I think more than anything, it was probably just limitations of, of, of you know, of the Game Boy cartridges and the images needing to be super compressed. In gold and silver, though... Ooh, clear as a cucumber. And speaking about compression, the sheer wonders of compression on the gold and silver cartridges was pure, just, just wow. It was, I mean, and I know we've got the glorious Satoru Iwata to thank for that. God rest his lovely soul. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later on. But there, I mean, there is just so much in this game. There is not a single area of the game that hasn't been developed to its next evolutionary stage. Like, initially, once I started seeing coverage of the game coming out, I, I was I was a little overwhelmed. Like, it looked like there was a bit too much in the game to get my little head around. Like, how would I ever, ever get used to a hundred totally new Pokemon? Little did I know that, you know, obviously, 20 years later, I'd be, I'd be reeling off lists of eight, nine hundred of the fuckers. <laughs> or, like, how would I ever get my head around, like, you know, the, the mechanics of breeding Pokemon and hatching eggs? How could I possibly figure out, like, I don't know, growing berries or day and night cycle, Pokemon being able to hold items, like an in-game smartphone allowing you to call trainers. And I mean, and literally all the colours of the rainbow in my eyes. And I remember thinking at one point, I, you know what, I don't think I need this game. I think it's taking it too far. That was very much in the same way that I justified not getting a Game Boy Color because there was something about the charm of playing games in different shades of green. It was just my way to, you know, to help me feel better that I couldn't have those things, you know, immediately in that moment. I mean, obviously, I didn't hesitate to get the game as soon as I possibly could. And I dutifully chose Cyndaquil as my standard fire starter Pokemon. And... Before I knew it, I was having, obviously, the greatest adventure I possibly could. It was it was a sheer delight to see my first Kanto region Pokemon appear. Like, like seeing a school friend after the summer holidays, even if it was only a, a Pidgey or just a bit of Tat. And, and it was it was so lovely to, to discover these new Pokemon. I remember particularly being taken with uh, Mareep, a fantastic electric sheep. And the uh, the final evolution of Mareep, uh, Ampharos. Oh, Still still will make an appearance in, in one of my teams these days, if I can. And the mythos of the Pokemon world had been expanded to include, I mean, more elusive enigmas beyond the likes of the legendary birds and Mewtwo and Mew from the first game. And now there were whispers of, of legendary dogs. Uh, there was a whole suite of, of cryptic critters resembling the letters of the alphabet living beneath the ruins of an ancient structure. And there were the two poster boy legendary Pokemon as well. The rainbow bird Phoenix Ho-Oh living atop a burned out tower, which was 
quite remarkably teased in the very first episode of the Pokemon anime, which is just just brilliant. And then there was also the deep sea dwelling Lugia, a majestic underwater bird that could could swim as well as it flew. <laughs> and one of the nice things about Gold and Silver is that you were able to obtain both of these Pokemon in both games. You didn't have to decide which one you wanted to have. Speaking about these legendary dogs, though, like, <laughs> it's one of the only downsides of the game, uh, these fellows, because I think just the mechanics surrounding trying to capture them just didn't really work and, and was genuinely anxiety-inducing and frustrating because, like, the way it works is you, you first encounter them and then they scatter across the world and they keep moving and you'd have to look up their current position in the Pokedex and then hot-foot it over there and hope that you encountered it by chance in the grass on that route before it moved on again. But once you found it, you had a chance to either attack it or throw a Pokeball at it to catch it, because after one turn it would run away again and you'd have to start tracking it all over again. And, I mean, you know, the menu system in this tiny little 8-bit game was... It wasn't fast, it wasn't, it wasn't smooth, it wasn't easy to do this. And, I mean, sure, there were moves like Mean Look that would stop a Pokemon from fleeing, or you could try and put it to sleep. But, like, little 12, 13-year-old me or whatever, I didn't know these things. And I, I don't think I ever caught more than one of them by pure luck in my original playthrough of the game. It's interesting to see features like tracking Pokemon and Pokemon moving and habitats. Like, finally, these are mechanics that really work in the game. And, it, like, I love the fact that you can see the lineage all the way back to then and then going, I think this would be really cool. And everyone going, that would be really cool. And going, this is not how to make it really cool. But maybe in 20, 30 years, it will be good. And, uh, and now it is. But, I, you know, I I didn't resent those those dogs at all. Like, I th- still think that... Um, Suicune is, is one of my favourite Pokemon. I, I I love it. And like very much like how Pokemon has penetrated every facet of my life and continues to do so. I remember writing a short story in English class at school inspired by the legendary dogs. Uh, I mean, possibly, possibly imbued with the ludicrous fantasy stylings of Grendel. And it was about a, a young boy. Uh, probably blonde and living in Broadstairs, who hears tales of these mythical dogs and hunts them down in caves across the world. And like, I remember being given the feedback on the piece from uh, Mr. Hayward, our English teacher, and uh, it, it simply said, how does a small boy have the power to defeat demon dogs? And I thought, you know what, that's a good point. And, and we were actually we were given the chance to actually revise the stories as well. So I, 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 uh, I, I cleverly actually overcame this plot hole with, with just a very simple line of writing. Uh, so it followed on from the line, he landed in the cave, feeling the clammy earth beneath his feet. But then I inserted another line that says... He felt strangely powerful now. <laughs> oh, problem solved. Absolutely problem solved. That's how the young boy defeats demon dogs. He feels strangely powerful now. <laughs> just, oh, the linguistic efficiency of uh, just uh, just a, a haiku poet. <laughs> but this game also had Celebi, which is like the second generation version of Mew, which was this lovely little grass psychic type Pokemon who is, is, is hinted at in passing in a small shrine in the woods. And uh, it, it really captured my imagination every bit as Mew did in the first game. Like as a as another aside, because obviously aside of what this episode needs more of, uh, the fourth Pokemon movie, which is centered around Celebi, it's a really beautiful little film. It's it's a very gentle film without any sort of big cataclysmic events. But it, it it's it, I remember like it's it's when I first saw. 
Pokemon being showcased as animals, as like wildlife, and it really made the world seem like alive and organic for, for the first time that I'd seen like in the anime. It's a, it's a, it's a really, I'm really fond of that little film. There was also another thing added in this game for the first time in the series, which was very exciting, and that was shiny Pokemon. Shiny Pokemon. And, I mean, all the way back in my days when I collected WWF stickers, and you might peel open a pack and find, like, a, a shiny version of, I don't know what they were called, like, Brett the Hitman Heart. Yeah. Or, like... Jake the Snake Roberts. Right, Randy Savage Rodman something. I don't know. Rotten Log Randy Savage. I don't know. <laughs> all of these people. Like, the idea of getting a shiny Pokemon, oh, I mean, statistically, no better than a regular version of the Pokemon, but it would be a different colour. And that was so cool. I mean, just very exciting to imagine stumbling across, like, a pink Dratini or, like, a silver Staryu or even, even, and this is... Oh, a purple ponytar like the purple ponytar rather it's it's purple rapidash evolution that is one that i lusted after even back then it was the only shiny i, I really cared about and i would spend hours like trying to find one on the on the uh, on the route that is like at the the foot of mount silver where wild rapidashes would appear and i was hours upon hours upon days upon days just trying to find one and i never did and i never did and it brought me an enormous amount of joy when I finally managed to obtain a shiny ponytar on Let's Go Pikachu. And then I evolved it into a Rapidash and then you can even ride it around on the overworld. And just to have my character riding around on this purple Rapidash, it was absolutely stunning. I mean, it was it was very, very special. And I know that like, I mean, shiny Pokemon are a dime a dozen these days with like shinies riddling the streets during Pokemon Go events and the like. But but even still, like it's it's pretty special. I think the only shiny I actually like legitimately caught in the game was one of the unknowns because I was trying to catch like one of each of the different letters of unknowns. And I think at one point I got like a blue unknown that was like a letter G or something. But the only shiny that was you were definitely guaranteed to see in the game was uh, there, there was hard-coded into the game a red Gyarados that would inhabit the Lake of Rage. And that was just so cool. Like, oh, just what a cool feature. And the only thing I wished was that the shiny Magikarp had the Gyarados colouring the way that the shiny Gyarados has the classic Magikarp colouring. But I will be, and I must say, I will be the first to admit that I, I, I have more pressing concerns than that one to attend to in my life. So I'm willing <laughs> to let it go. Now, I mentioned in passing earlier about how Satoru Iwata was responsible for the sheer size of this game and getting the amount of stuff on the cartridge, because one of the things that makes Pokemon Gold so unbelievably special is the level of post-game content. Like, it is a level that has not been equaled in any other Pokemon game since, because when you beat the Elite Four, that's not the end of the journey, not, not, not by a long way. You then hop on the train and you zip over to the Kanto region from the original Pokemon games, and you then essentially play through Pokemon Red and Blue all over again. But the trainers are all super experienced. The gym leaders have really strong parties. And it's it, it's just unbelievably exciting. And I, I didn't know this was coming when I was first playing the game. And it, it just blew my absolute brain when I realised what, what, was, what was happening. Like, I, I was expecting it to, to, you know, to end at any point or to have certain areas blocked off every single time I, I got to a new town or a new route. But it just kept going and going and you just could go back to all of these places. And the really cool thing was the world had progressed in the time that had passed since the first game. You know, like Brock and Misty, you know, they're they're still there as gym leaders. But Brock's Geodude is now, now a Graveler and, you know, he's he's got hold of the two fossil Pokemon from the first game. 
and uh, Misty has a Lapras and her Psyduck has evolved into a Golduck. And, uh, and of course, stepping into Giovanni's shoes as the gym leader in Viridian City, it's none other than Blue, your rival from the first game. It's lovely how the game sort of comes full circle. There are little nods to Team Rocket, the villains of the first game. Like, there's a wonderful little, there's a little, uh, a little gag. If you go into the game corner in Celadon City, in, in the first game, there's a, there's a button hidden behind a poster to open the secret door to Team Rocket's hideout. And if you go up to the poster in this game, it goes, huh? Behind this poster? It's nothing. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. I mean, it felt so incredibly special to return to Kanto after becoming the Pokemon champion in Pokemon Gold because it felt like how like I wanted to return to that world after having played Pokemon Blue and Pokemon Yellow so much. Like, I, you know, every time I, I'd, I'd restart a save file, which, you know, I didn't do a huge amount, but I, I'd want to return to that world to see it in, you know, that present day as my evolved self. And... Pokemon Gold gave you that opportunity and it was just, it was amazing. And then once you defeat all the gym leaders in Kanto, you then get to tackle the Elite Four a second time. And they're all so much more powerful the second time round to give you an even greater challenge. And that is not all because <laughs> like to round it all off, once you've done that, you finally get access to Mount Silver. Like it's like the hardest area in the whole of the two worlds, loads of powerful Pokemon, a huge mountain to explore. And there's, there's no trainers there because like it's, you know, it's, it's too hard for everybody. Oh, but who's this waiting for you at the top of the mountain to give you your final battle. It's red. The original trainer from the first game, you reach him, his back is turned, you press A, he turns around, and all he says is dot, 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 and then you're into battle, and you just see this epic figure. Obviously, he's just a small kid, but it's he's there's so much, there's so much weight to him. He's got a level 81 Pikachu, he's got all three fully evolved original starter Pokemon, an Espeon hinting that, you know, he's also explored Johto to evolve his Eevee. And, and a whopping great Snorlax that gave me so much grief with its constant fucking resting to recover its health. And then it's got this new bloody snore attack that it can use even when it's asleep. Like, in order to, to, to finally beat Red, I had to resort to uh, getting a Lapras and, and teaching it Perish Song. Because if you use Perish Song, then it means that both Pokemon faint after three turns. And so basically it was like a, it was like a Kamikaze Lapras. And I would have to, yeah, I basically had to make sure that I still had at least one Pokemon left after my Lapras. Use Perish Song, after three turns, the Snorlax would finally go down with my Lapras. And the credits roll on the biggest and most incredible Pokemon adventure there's ever been. It is extraordinary. Like, it got remade several years later on the DS with Pokemon Heart Gold, making full use of the DS's enhanced grunt over the original Game Boy Color. Like, it connected with all the modern games up to that point to really beef it out. I mean, obviously, yeah, it looked a lot better and there was proper animation and more colours and whatnot, but it didn't have the same charm as the original. And I think for me, the impact of going back to Kanto and seeing it in the same art style as the original game, that impact was lost when you went back this time, even though obviously it was still brilliant to see Kanto reimagined in this enhanced art style. But it wasn't, you know, it didn't have that same level of nostalgia but you did get the Pokewalker peripheral with the game, a, a <laughs> rudimentary pedometer with a screen, uh, allowing you to transfer a Pokemon from your game onto it, take it for a walk to help it get experience. And there's also like some mini games you could do on the device as well, which would allow you to, to catch Pokemon, including an incredibly rare chance to catch a Pikachu with Surf or Fly 
and I was thrilled one day when I managed to catch a flying Pikachu when I was pacing the shop floor of game when I was working there with my Pokewalk, and that was nice. I imagine if they ever release Let's Go Johto, I'll have an incredible time again, but it, it, it's not going to top that original experience, and I can't imagine like anything will ever top that experience in a Pokemon game. I mean, perhaps maybe if we get a true open-world Pokemon game, Seizu being able to travel across all the regions of all the games with wild Pokemon appearing in the overworld. And I mean, you know, I mean, it looks like we might be getting a step closer to something like that with the recently unveiled Pokemon Legends spin-off. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. And, and even though I know I was extremely sceptical about Pokemon Sword before its release, it didn't stop me relentlessly support the franchise, which I'm, I imagine I'll be doing till the day I die. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, I love Pokemon. And yeah, I mean, Pokemon Gold, it, there's been times when I've said it's my favourite game of all time. For now, it's consigned to my list at number seven. But yeah, my God, what an absolute masterpiece. Well done. It's really nice. Like these big ones at the top, mm. they're more than games. <laughs> they are. It's about more than games. <laughs> it's about the Backstreet Boys. It, it is. is. I know. It's in there. So there we go. That was my seventh favorite video game of all time. And of course, it was Pokemon Gold. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do share the podcast on social media, subscribe to us on all of our different channels, facebook.com slash r3cents, chat to us there, tell us what you're playing, tell us what you think of these games. You can even ask us questions that you might like us to answer in a future episode. And please do send us your list of what your top 10 favourite video games of all time are, because we're going to feature them in a future special episode, and that's going to be really, really great. Really, really great to do. You can also reach out to us individually. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I've just reconnected to the call to say I'm on Twitter at Chaz underscore Hodges. I was here the whole time and I'm Clement underscore Boob. <laughs> and if you're really enjoying what we're doing, please do check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash r3cents. Why not pledge a few pennies and help support what we're doing? And we'll do even more because that's just the sort of people we are. And please do join us next week for a very special bonus episode celebrating the best, the worst, and the not yet sequels of the video games industry, where we will be joined by the hosts of the hit podcast Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, Alex and Thrasher. It is a it's a fantastic episode, and yeah, we can't wait to share it with you. So we well we'll look forward to seeing you then. Hey Lassie, what are you doing here? Timmy's in a well. Sequelcast 2 and Friends is a podcast looking at movies in a franchise, one film at a time, like Harry Potter, Hellraiser, and The Hobbit. And sometimes the hosts talk about video games and TV as well. And now it's part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Oh Lassie, we don't need to rescue Timmy. He likes the well well enough, I guess. Darth Vader is Luke's father. Lassie, I told you to lay off the spoilers. Video Death Loop is a podcast where we watch a short video clip on loop until we just can't take it anymore. Along the way, we'll try our best to make each other laugh and to hold out longer than the other guy. You can jump in on any episode. No need to worry about continuity. Check out Video Death Loop on the Greenlit Podcast Network with new episodes every Friday.